When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the post-game Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Doug Maurice with Mary Kay Cabot, Dan Lobby, Scott Pascoe, and Ashley Bastock. Disastrous, horrible. 45-7 loss for the Cleveland Browns to the New England Patriots. Drops the Browns to 5-5. Five and five. Dan, you spin the wheel. Do you want to start with bad offense or bad defense? Dan Lobby, you get to pick. Where are we going first? Can we start with, you know what, offense is more fun to talk about in theory. Let's start with that offense because I think we can sort of we can sort of juxtapose what the Patriots did on offense, which I guess is talking about the defense with what the Browns did uh, on offense, and it was just concerning today to see how just unexplosive this offense was, and to see how they weren't able to generate big plays without Nick Chubb running the football, which is a little concerning because you don't want to just get big plays out of your run game. Um, you know, Baker had his lowest. Uh, lowest rating of the season, his fewest yards of the season, his worst completion percentage of the season. Uh, they didn't get anything going there. At one point in the third quarter, I looked out and the Browns are down, what was it, 24 points. So they're not running the football. And New England was not guarding against any sort of deep passing game. They had guys right up at the line of scrimmage. They're, they had one safety playing, I don't know, maybe 10 yards off the line. And occasionally they drop a guy back after the snap, but they had no respect for, for this downfield passing game at all. Dare I say the Browns might have missed number 13 today, but we're not going to, we don't have to get into that right off the bat, but there was just no respect for the downfield passing game today. And it's, it's concerning moving forward. Well, they didn't throw it him when he was here. So, I mean, like, I don't, I guess you can technically miss him. Baker Mayfield did not have a completion today, more than 10 yards past the line of scrimmage. He had 11 completions. Two were behind the line of scrimmage nine, according to next gen stats were between one and 10 yards. Oh, for seven longer than that. Mary Kay, it's non-functional. And so we can all see that because we have eyeballs just like Bill Belichick did when he decided to play the Browns this way. So what, so like what, but what can they do? They're five and five. I'm a little fired up because I think this, the season's not over. It's five and five. This was a little bit of a change my mind game because if this is what you are in this situation, I know you don't have Nick Chubb and Demetri Felton and Kareem Hunt. I understand that, but to get completely dominated on both sides of the ball, by a rookie quarterback and like both of these defenses kind of rebuilt through free agency. The Patriots do a lot of what the Browns want to do. And the Patriots blew the Browns off the field, kind of playing the Browns way. I am absolutely questioning where the Browns are right now, but let's stay with the pass game, Mary Kay. What do they do? What do they do with Jarvis Landry and Donovan Peoples Jones and with the guys they have? Well, you know, first of all, I think that, you know, they get a little bit skittish when they realize that the New England Patriots lead the NFL with 13 interceptions coming into the game. I think that gets in everybody's head. They are so turnover averse. That is one thing. They just don't want Baker throwing those interceptions. It's why he only had three heading into the game. They wanted to take that out of his 
hands and out of his game. And they have done that, but to a fault, okay, to a fault. And you can see that there were plenty of times. I mean, they had three other times in the first half alone. They had two other dropped interceptions and uh, and a fumble recovery that they blew. So there were several other times in the game and then another time, at least in the second half, where they should have had three more interceptions than they did. So this is a team that picks you off. And I think that that got into their heads. But, you know, I think you have to, in some ways, you have to try to work through that. And I think, I don't know why you can't get the ball to Jarvis Landry right now at all. I just, I'm having a hard time understanding why that is the case, okay? Um, Usually you can at least get the ball in his hands short and he can do something with it. So that's not working. Nothing's working with this passing game. I, I don't know that, Baker is seeing the field well enough, fast enough. Uh, some something is very, very wrong. Why? Why can't you play any of Rashard Higgins? Rashard can go out there and make plays for you. Um, it's it's mind blowing. And then when you talk about missing OBJ, one of the the players that was kind of supposed to step up and kind of take that speed, you know, take the top off the defense role is Anthony Schwartz, and he's just not ready yet. He's just not ready because, and he left the game with a concussion as well, but he's not ready in large part because he missed most of training camp and most of the off season with a hamstring injury. And so he is, he cannot fill that role for you, but you still should be able to with all the weapons that you still do have on this offense. And let's remember the Patriots were without their starting running back too. So you kind of have to cancel out Nick Chubb and Damian Harris. I mean, he's their Nick Chubb. So those two things cancel out in my mind. Um, you still have enough weapons on this football team to be able to be successful. And I think that's why I'm pinning a lot of it on Baker Mayfield. And if the play calling isn't what he needs it to be, then he has to take matters into his own hands. He's got to march into an office and say, look, you guys aren't putting me in the right positions to succeed. I'm not saying he should say that publicly because we'll talk about that on the other side of the ball coming up here in a little bit. Uh, but I'm saying that he needs to, uh, you know, he needs to stomp his feet a little bit and say, you know, I, I've got to be able to, you know, I've got to be able to throw the ball to Jarvis. I've got to be able to do, do this. I've got to be able to do that. And if they are reluctant to have him do some of those things, then that's, that's a huge problem. That's a huge problem because this is a tight race. You need your quarterback to be playing better than this. You need a passing game. It is broken. The Patriots wide receivers, 11 catches for 194 on Sunday. That's Kendrick Bourne, Jacoby Myers, Nelson Aguilar, and Nikhil Harry. No Randy Moss is in there. The Browns receivers, five catches, 42 yards. Scott, is Kevin Stefanski too in love with 13 personnel? Have they overdone it? They do it more than anybody. Are they past the point of no return? Are they in no man's land with three tight ends on the field so much? Uh, it worked great on that opening drive, right? Having, having tight ends. I think tight ends were leading the team in, in catches and receptions on that opening drive. Um, and then everything just kind of fell apart. I, look, they haven't been as great as you would think they should be in 13 personnel, considering how much they use it. But it doesn't seem like there's any turning back at this point. But I do agree that... It is mysterious how little wide receivers uh, factor into uh, just getting this offense to the end zone. Because even when they throw to Jarvis Landry, he's certainly not leading the team in like expected points added. His receptions are not fueling the offense, even if he has a lot of them. Uh, and it's 
part of that's the nature of, of a slot guy, but uh, yeah, it's all about tight ends. And I mean, look, yeah, I know Baker didn't throw deep today, but I mean, last week he had his deepest average depth of target of the year it was over 12 yards per target. Um, so it's not like uh, we're in this stretch where we're, we're asking, can he throw that far? Clearly he can. And he did it last week. I mean, they tried to get it to a people's Jones four times in the first half didn't connect on any of them. Uh, at least one of those I remember was, was kind of a deep ball, but a lot of it today, I think was just a game plan and what they wanted to do. And, and Batonio kind of pointed out that their hope was to have like a fast paced passing attack. And that kind of went out the window when they fell behind. And then when you get the ball back and Dernis Johnson suddenly is only getting one or two yards when he carries and you're behind, you know, second and nine, third and eight, third and nine, and just snowballs from there, especially when you can't convert on third down. Did anything feel dangerous? Ashley, you're sitting there, you're watching this thing. And is it Gillette stadium still? I don't even know. Is that right? Is that the name? Of it the is. Place? It is. You have the <laughs> branding. Correct. Yes. You're sitting. I, I wouldn't want to get sued by a razor company for saying the wrong thing. Are you, you're, you're sitting there in the stadium. Do, are you watching that seeing like this feels like this offense is operating in a shoebox? Was there anything could get it feel sort of bogged down watching it live? Yeah. I mean, after that first drive, with the exception of that first scripted drive, it was just so flat. I mean, they were flat everywhere today. And I know we're going to talk about the defense later, but it just felt like there was, again, no true down the field threat. And this goes to kind of everything that's already been set, been said. I don't get what the issue is with not really involving Jarvis Landry in this game plan. I, I just don't. I, I don't know really how he's even come back from that injury because he hasn't done much since then. And we don't know if that's the issue. We don't know if it's something with the scheme, with the offense. I just really think there are so many questions that we just do not have the answers to right now in terms of getting these receivers involved, kind of like you were talking about on that you know, on our video that we did right before this podcast, Doug, it's like, it's 2021 and the receivers have very little involvement in this offense right now. And it really, I think is just hindering everything. And again, you know, it today shows how much you need Nick Chubb for this to be a functioning offense period. Jarvis Landry, four catches on five, on five targets for Landry, five targets for people's Jones, people's Jones, one catch Landry four. go ahead, Dan. I, I just want to throw this out there because we talk so much about the 13 personnel. And I think today was an example of this. Do these tight ends scare anybody in the receiving game? When we, when we talk about weapons, is there a tight end on this roster that scares you, that scares the defense in the receiving game? You know what? I think David Joku has the potential to do that. Right, but he had, a bad but he had, he had two drops today, and we've, he been sitting here for, we've been sitting here for four and a half years waiting for David and Joku to be that guy. No, he had a bad game. He's had far better games than this. I thought he uh, ran a sloppy route on, on the play on the, uh, on the pick. Uh, I, I, you know, he had the drop, you know, he, he did not have a good game today. Just like a couple of weeks ago, Jarvis did not have a good game, but it, it makes me wonder, uh, you know, the quarterback is supposed to elevate the play of the players around him. There were a couple of times where he, I thought it looked like he overthrew Donovan people's Jones. So he seemed a little bit, Baker seemed off on some of those passes. When you talk about David Njoku, he was just bad today. Okay. He was bad. I think he play, he can play a lot better than that. Austin Hooper. I don't think he's been really scaring anybody from a passing game standpoint. And Harrison Bryant is, you know, he's a good tight end, but 
you know, I, I, I have to put some of this on Baker Mayfield, whether it's on the field or off the field in terms of taking the bull by the horns. Your quarterback is the leader of your football team. This was all set up for him to take this team to the promised land this year. And they gave him everything possible to do it. And he is beat up. We know that. But they gave him the offensive line. They gave him the tight ends. They gave him the wide receivers. They gave him the running backs. They gave him the defense. And he needs to elevate the play. And you, you're not always going to get three takeaways like he got against the Cincinnati Bengals. Some weeks, you just have to put the team on your back. And you have to be amazing. And when I watched Mac Jones today, I thought he made some amazing throws. I mean, his touch is fantastic. And he made he fitted into some incredibly tight windows. And I just thought he outplayed Baker Mayfield. Yeah, I don't think the tight ends have to necessarily scare anybody. They've been productive. And I mean, before today, obviously, uh, I mean, Njoku clearly didn't have a good game. And I think if he doesn't, if he plays poorly and he's been the best one of the three this season, the most consistent, if he doesn't play well, like today, it really stands out. But I think overall they've done what they've needed to do as far as their position as, as tight ends. But if you're looking for somebody who is going to have a Kelsey like game and scare opposing defenses to the point where they have to game plan everything around them. That, that isn't these guys for sure. And it doesn't have to be. Well, but it's gotta be, I mean, it's gotta be somebody. That's the thing about this. Listen, you can think Odell did what he did or whatever. It's like somebody has to be a threat 25 yards down the field every now and then somebody has to be, and it can't just be Donovan people's Jones once a month on one throw. And so you can act like, I mean, Odell didn't get the ball. They didn't throw him the ball. So now he's not here. Now they're not throwing anybody else the ball. So this is not a sustainable, you have to, you're on a knife's edge of efficiency with this because your only explosion is in the run game and your two best running backs are out. And we're not going to ignore that. Of course, that's a huge deal for this offense. But then when they try, Oh, try to be explosive. Another way. There's nothing. There's nothing. But Doug, don't, don't you, don't you agree on some level? that it has to come back to the quarterback. Oh, 100%. Yeah, no, I'm not disputing that. Yeah, no, but it's got to come back to Stefanski. I think Stefanski has gone over the efficiency cliff, Mm -hmm. and they are so tight. Everything is so in sync, and, and there's no... There can be a good looseness to an offense, and this offense is wound tight, man. And every now and then one of those strings breaks and Nick Chubb runs for 60 yards, right? On a wide zone and he hits a cutback lane. But there is not a lot of, there's nothing like unexpected, right? There's no looseness of a, hey, let's get out. What you see across the league all the time. There's none of that. When Baker's escapes and is outside the pocket, nobody's scared of that. No, and there's nothing, there's, the, the, the deep shots seem perfunctory. It's like, well, I guess we better throw deep once every 30 plays. Oh, overthrew him. Okay, let's go back and run it on second and 10. Like there is nothing here. And when it's on, you win 23-17. But man, you get down, there's nothing to this. The last three games, I did math. Receivers, 21 catches, 288 receiving yards. Tight ends, 21 catches, 210 receiving yards. Running backs, 11 catches, 99 receiving yards. And I'm counting Demetric Felton as a receiver. That's to be nice. So that's 48.2 of the percent of the receiving yards of the last three games of receivers. It's not enough. 
Like you gotta, I, and you can't, I mean like Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave or, so, or somebody you like, there's somebody coming, but you, you punted Odell or Odell punted himself. So you got to get through the rest of this season. Do you have a receiver that you can throw the ball to 15 yards down the field? Dan, do they? How, like, can they win like this? Because I don't even know who these New England receivers are. Well, and I, Mac, Mac Jones hit a couple. And Mac Jones is not Russell Wilson, man. But Mac Jones was 6-7 on throws 10 yards down the field. I'm not asking Baker to hit 10 a game. So I, I laughed when you said Donovan Peoples-Jones, two deep catches a month or whatever it was. That was uh, very, very accurate. But look, I don't think we're ready to go here yet. I'm not ready to go here yet. But I, I guarantee you these were the discussions that L.A. Rams writers were having last year about their quarterback and their passing game. So I, I guess we need to decide, is Kevin Stefanski playing it this close to the vest because he doesn't think he has the weapons because his quarterback's hurt? or because he doesn't trust his quarterback. And all of those are very important questions, and especially that answer to the last one. So that, that's kind of where this offense is at. Now, it could change over the last – how many games are left? This is the longest season ever. Seven. Seven games? It could change over the last seven games like it did last year. We could be sitting here saying, yep, Baker's the dude. But it is a little concerning that they're so conservative with this game plan. And maybe the, maybe the answer is because of the injuries. Maybe the answer is because they just can't push the ball downfield as much as they want to because of the shoulder. But I don't know. I mean, these are, these are the discussions, and these are the things that the, the discussions they're having behind the scenes about how much do you trust your playmakers, how much do you trust your quarterback. And it, it's a discussion that we're going to have unless Baker Mayfield just breaks out and, and looks like the guy we saw in the second half of last year. I, I will say, like, I think it's a problem that, we even have to ask that last question that you asked, Dan, right? Like, does Kevin Stefanski trust Baker right now? That's a problem that we have to sit here and talk about that, I think, that it's even come up. And again, we don't know the answer. And, you know, it's kind of an unanswerable question in a lot of ways in terms of why Kevin Stefanski is playing it as close to the best as he is. We, we're never going to know that for sure. But I do think, you know, even if it is as simple as Baker's hurt and he can't get the ball down the field like he would if he was healthy you have to figure out a way for to make him successful kind of like what Mary Kay was saying like you have to figure out a way to put him in a position where he can succeed as the starting quarterback yeah I, I like listen some people have been this door has been partially open for a long time with Baker and there's only seven games left I mean it's not like hey no, how dare it's only seven games left in the year and today for me and we're all in our different paths in life, right? To, today cracked the door for me. Because to me, if you get outplayed by Patrick Mahomes or Justin Herbert or Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen or Kyler Murray or Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady, whatever, I get it, right? No one, we know Baker's not Patrick Mahomes. We know that. But if you get outplayed by the number 15 pick in the draft, who's a rookie, then what are, what are we waiting for? Because it's like, well, I don't know. Like, well, because my thing is always like, well, if not Baker, then what? And it's like, I don't know. If not Baker, then a mid-round pick in the first round who's ready to play immediately and plays better than Baker in a playoff eliminator game? I guess that, that, that sitting, that's not impossible. The Patriots didn't tank for that. They didn't trade nine players for that. They didn't spend $40 million in free agency with that. That was sitting there. 
Well, I guess the Browns could get that. Now, maybe the league let him fall too far. Maybe he should have gone third or second. But, like, if that's there and that's that good right away, then then what are you, like, what are you hanging on to with Baker? That's that's where I am with this, that this was I this was the Mac Jones test, Mary Kay, and I know you wrote that too after the game. When you get outplayed by Mac Jones, because I don't think there's anything that Mac Jones does that Baker can't do. Baker can't do what Lamar does. He can't do what Josh does. He can't do what Patrick does. I get that. Nobody's asking him to do that. What does Mac Jones do that Baker Mayfield can't do? And the I don't know what the answer is, but Mac Jones played 10 times better than Baker today. He really did. And you know what? I think some of it might be the fact that when we saw Baker Mayfield having most of his success last year, a lot of it was when he was booting out there. I mean, he was rolling out and uh, and he was having a ton of success in that way. I think defenses are playing him differently. And I think he's being forced to play from within the pocket. And I think that is presenting some challenges, perhaps. I think it's a combination of a lot of things. I think he'll do better when Kareem Hunt get, gets back, but I thought that was going to happen when Jarvis got back too. Uh, so I just have to think that, uh, you know, that, that defenses have dug into the film. And when you get a guy like Bill Belichick, I mean, he burns that midnight oil and he's going to figure out how to defend against Baker Mayfield. And he had a field day with it today. And this was a good pass defense, okay? The Bengals last week were not a good pass defense, and they victimized Eli Apple, okay? When they saw Donovan Peoples-Jones singled up one-on-one downfield with Eli Apple, Mayfield's taken that all day long. I thought he also missed the biggest tackle on the Nick Chubb touchdown run. So, um you know, they took advantage of some situations last week. Well, you can't really take advantage of such a well-coached Bill Belichick pass defense. They will make you pay. I wrote it right before the game. I put some last-minute thoughts out there, and I just said, look, they've got 13 interceptions, and if Baker it makes the smallest mistake, they're going to make him pay. And I think Kevin Stefanski knew that, and I think he called perhaps a more conservative game plan. But even when – Baker did take a, two, a few shots here and there. He either he was off or his receivers were off. And I just think that I, oh, I put the onus, I put a lot of responsibility on the quarterback in situations like this. He's got everything that he needs to be successful. And I think they have enough weapons. I think they have enough weapons to still have an explosive passing attack, a downfield attack, should be able to get the ball downfield to David Njoku. You should be able to find some, although these guys are good at covering tight ends. You talked about that. You guys did a whole podcast on that on got to watch the tape. Uh, so they, you know, Bill, what does Bill Belichick do? He knew he had to take, he had to slow down Dearnest, Donovan Peoples-Jones and David Njoku. That's what he had to do. And probably in some order. And he did a pretty, pretty good job of that. And, but I think, you know, I just think that Baker Mayfield is being defended by a lot of really good defensive coordinators this year. They've dug into this Kevin Stefanski scheme and, uh, and the Browns are paying the price for that right now. So I want to, I want to get into some of the run game stuff, but I want to throw in the caveat here and, and Dan, you're in the room watching with Baker Mayfield after the game, he's hurt. 
right? Which is such a complicated factor as you're trying to evaluate whether this guy's your franchise quarterback or not. Because what percent is he playing? Now, listen, Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski have a much better idea on that than we do. So their evaluation, they know where he is on this. How should we be thinking about this? How should fans be thinking about this? I, I, you want to give the guy a, some leeway, right? But also they're putting him out there. What was his vibe like after the game? How hurt, Dan, do you think he is right now? He was down. I mean, you know, he was down probably as much as we've seen since probably going back to 2019, some of those infamous screen grabs that we've gotten of Baker Mayfield just beat up after a game. Yeah, I mean, look, that's that's the thing, right? We just don't know how much these injuries are affecting him. And we don't know, maybe that's why you're going to have to play out the fifth-year option and, and kind of see what he can do when he's healthy. I also think they're telling us something when in back-to-back days, they make Wyatt Teller the highest paid guard in football or the second highest paid guard in football. And then they turn around and they make Joel Batonio. I think the highest paid guard in football. They're telling you something about how they believe this thing has to be built with Baker Mayfield as their quarterback. They've extended Nick Chubb. They extended Kareem Hunt last year. Now that's a little different. That was before we really knew who Baker was. Look how this team is spending its money. And, you know, if they believe that Baker Mayfield is their quarterback, there's a certain way this team has to be built, which is fine. That's what you do with every quarterback. But it does, I think it does indicate a little bit what they think his limitations are and what they think he's capable of. And, and just kind of, you know, can, can he be a guy that throws the ball 40 times a game every week? Probably not. Is there a specific way you can win with him? Probably. And I think they're indicating that with some of the moves they've already made here this season. It's pretty specific. And that includes a special running back because no matter how good your offensive line is, they had four fifths of the line out there today. And I think Dearness Johnson, if I have it right, had four carries for 58 yards on the opening drive. I think they got with the Patriots and kind of like a nickel defense and the Browns went hurry up and kind of caught them with some extra DBs on the field and then ran the ball down their throat. And then the rest of the game, when they weren't cutting that defense, Dearness Johnson carried it 15 times for 41 yards the rest of the game. So that's less than a three yard per carry average after that first drive, Scott, like they need a great running back with explosive capabilities to make this work. Right. Because after that first drive, there wasn't a lot of explosive capability in that backfield. And I think we saw the results or, or do you think that it should work with the Ernest Johnson, if Chubb and hunt aren't there? Yeah. I, I think we've gone from, yeah, Dernest Johnson should get a shot to, well, what other options do they have? Because uh, today, I think, was kind of really a disappointment in that respect. It's and, and look, Chubb has had these games, too, where he looks great on one drive, then he'll get stuffed quite a bit. But you always, you know, there's there's going to be that 10, 12, 80 yarder at some point, And it happens a lot with Jared Johnson. It just did not. He had three carries for six yards the rest of the half. And then by then, I mean, they're in pass mode and uh the run game is kind of out the window. I mean, most of those yards came late. So I'm not sure. I mean, Jack Conklin missing him matters, but again, they're not going to use that as an excuse. You still have, like we've said, the two, uh, these two guards that really feel the the run game. The other side of this is who's out there spelling Darius Johnson uh, on snaps. He had 19 carries today. They really didn't have anybody who was kind of rotating in and, mm-hmm. Johnny Stanton even got a snap near the goal line, which I, I was all for that play, by the way. I, I thought it was great. Everybody said it was too cute. I don't know. 
that Johnny Football has have a shot. Um, but yeah, there was nobody. There was nobody to kind of rotate in and be that other person. And that's so much of, of what this Browns offense has become about. It's being able to keep the guys fresh and giving the defense kind of a different look with somebody different. They even have Demetrius Felton for that today. He was out too. Yeah. So uh, just no other options other than Darius Johnson. When he's your only option and you're not playing the Broncos really bad run defense, you, you might be in trouble. That play, that play looked like the Johnny football. That looked like Johnny football. Actually, that's a very appropriate. appropriate I wanted him to throw it. Like if he yeah. had thrown it, then I, I probably would have fainted. But um, it would have been an awesome I play. I, I don't want to completely pivot this, but we do. I mean, we do need to spend. I'm sure people are listening. That's just pulling their hair out. Like talk about the defense. No, no, so, no. We will. Before yeah. I don't. I, yeah. So, so I want to end with this. So I, I think Stefanski is on the hook. A decent chunk of this. Ashley, you're watching it. Did you like, were you waiting for Kevin Stefanski to conjure something? Like you said, scripted, they have a plan for the first drive and then like literally nothing offensively the rest of the day. Were you, were you ever waiting for like, oh, maybe Kevin will dial something up here? Yeah. I mean, that's like his reputation ever since they hired him ever since he was in Minnesota, you know, that's like, he's supposed to be able to do that as the head coach. And again, it kind of just goes back. I feel like I'm kind of talking in circles a little bit with this, but like you have to, as the head coach, and, and we've heard him so many times and he gets up in these post-game press conferences after these bad losses and does what a good coach does and takes the blame, keeps, you know, whatever criticism or whatever there may be in-house and he falls on the sword essentially. But what does he need to do better then? If he, if he really thinks all of this blame needs to be put on him, then he needs to find the answer to that. Like multiple guys after in this post-game press conference are saying, you know, there needs to be some reevaluation. Guys need to look at themselves in the mirror. That definitely includes him. And there needs to be something tangible that changes, whether it's the 13 personnel less, whether it's finding a way to make Baker more successful, whether it's a combination of, of all of these things that we've just spent, I don't even know how long talking about. That does go through him. It does start with him. And there needs to be an answer. All right, so go ahead, Before we move on to the defense or however you were going to end it, end it there, uh, there's two things that come to my mind really quickly, and that is, number one, thought it was a little significant that Kevin Stefanski did not put Baker Mayfield back into the football game when he could have. Now, I think it was really mostly injury-related, and so let's not read much more into it than that. The guy had a knee contusion. They were down 31-7 at the time, so I guess in my mind, uh, that's like, let's not get him hurt anymore. Let's preserve him for the rest of the season and, and move on from there. But having said everything that we've said about what happened today, they're heading into three games where the passing game can look beautiful against the Lions and then twice against the Baltimore Ravens, who have the 31st ranked pass defense in the NFL. Kevin Stefanski will loosen it up over the next three weeks. Baker's going to look a lot better. They're going to win some football games. The sky will no longer be falling. That's a good point. We've done a, a good half an hour on what's up with the offense. After this, this quick break, we will come back and do three full hours on what's wrong with the defense next on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Okay, I was told in the break that we cannot do three hours on the defense. We have to limit that. That's my instinct, but these guys have other things they want to write. All right, Dan, you wanted us to get to the defense. How bad was that? How problematic was – because, listen, like, 
No Hunt, no Chubb, no Conklin. Still adjusting to no OBJ. Okay. Defensively, that was basically it, other than the fact that JOK is back, but is clearly not all the way back yet. But otherwise, that's as good as they get, and they got steamrolled. Right. You know, we talk about Bill Belichick, right? He's going to expose your weaknesses on offense. There's another guy on that sideline who's been on that sideline for a long time. And obviously, he was really great with Tom Brady. He was interviewed by the Browns a couple years ago before they hired Kevin Stefanski. His name is Josh McDaniels. He doesn't get the love a lot of other offensive coordinators get, I think, because he works under Bill, because he had Tom. But that guy is going to expose the things that you do not do well. And we're seeing Mac Jones get better in this offense. And Josh McDaniels could basically get whatever he wanted today. And there were a number of telling things that were said after the game. I'll, I'll leave the really big one. To, uh, to someone else. But the, the one thing that stood out to me was, I think it was John Johnson, but one of the defensive players, it was him or Miles Garrett, said it felt like they just went back and saw all the plays the Browns struggled against and just ran those over and over again, which is kind of what you're supposed to do as a coach, right? And it, this was a brilliant game by Josh McDaniels and a dismal game by the Browns defense. They, they just offered almost no resistance, six of six in the first half on third downs, including a third and 13. Uh, that, that drive should have ended in a field goal, and it didn't. And one other thing, these, these drives looked a lot like what we saw against Cincinnati last week on their first two drives. But, Doug, you mentioned it last week. What happens if Denzel Ward doesn't have the pick six, right? Well, today Denzel Ward didn't have the pick six. Two drives, really easy, getting whatever they want going down the field, just like the Bengals did in their first two drives last week. This was a big red flag game for this defense because every they've had some really awful games against teams like the Chiefs, the Chargers, the Patriots. You know, to me, even that Pittsburgh game with 15 points wasn't that impressive. I, we should be worried about this defense and, and what the Patriots exposed today. So you heard it here first. Dan Lobby blames Denzel Ward for not returning a pick <laughs> 99 yards for the Browns lost today. No, you're right. Like they didn't get that boost on that side of the ball real quickly. Total yards today, Patriots 452, 7.3 yards per play. Browns 217, 3.7 yards per play. Dan, you left that really big thing out there. We're going to give that to Mary Kay, but I want to go to Scott first. Scott, Dan said they exposed the things the Browns defense doesn't do well. What are the things the Browns defense, what, what don't they do well particularly that got exposed? Well, that was, that was John Johnson, by the way. I remember that quote. Um, and he, he threw out like screens and... Um, uh, what was the other thing? I think just getting into space on the outside. Uh, I mean, the Brown, yeah, they've, they've gotten hurt by, by plays like that. It's not like they are the worst in the league at defending screens or something like that. I actually did some searching on there. I'm like, wow, I wonder if they are really bad. We just didn't notice it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they have had some, some big plays against them with things like that. I think it really just came down to Stefanski. And I think everybody said just, out schemed and watching the tape. Something I'm really looking forward to seeing the full field um, again, just watching how this thing plays out is part of it. The fact that the Browns had, and this is part of the Patriots offensive setup, but the Browns had, you know, multiple linebackers on the field a lot today. And that's really not a good place for the Browns to be defensively. I mean, last year they really struggled and they had three linebackers out there. Uh, quite a bit. Um, some of that was out of necessity because of injuries around them. But uh, those first couple drives, when you saw Anthony Walker and Taki Taki and Mac Wilson on the field together, that's 
not a great place to be because if you're passing, you're going to get Taki-Taki maybe in a bad spot. If you have to get to the outside, these guys have proven they're not really great at doing that. That's the thing that JOK kind of solved when he was fully healthy and, and in there a lot. Uh, so I think that is part of what they kind of targeted, getting them in positions where they have some of their slower guys who don't cover as much room on the field out there, keeping them out there based on, you know, the personnel that the Patriots had on the field. All right, Mary Kay. So Dan brought this up. I don't, nobody's going to say Joe Woods called a great game, right? But should their best defensive player be insinuating that? What, what did Miles Garrett say after the game? And Mary Kay, what do you think of it? Yeah, you know, I just heard too many times him saying uh, that, you know, we didn't make adjustments. We didn't make sideline adjustments. We didn't make halftime adjustments. Uh, And I just don't think now is the time to be talking like that. Uh, This, once again, is a very tight race. There are three teams in the AFC North that have five victories. They are one game behind uh, the, um, the Ravens. I mean, they are one victory behind the Ravens, who are six and three right now. And uh, they have two games coming up against those Ravens after next week. And as I mentioned before, the Ravens looked really bad in a loss to the Dolphins. So I still think everything is right there for the taking. I don't think uh, that life seems life is as bad as it seems right now for the Cleveland Browns. I think they can get it turned around. And I think things might look a lot different uh, over the next couple of weeks. Again, going up against a pass defense that's horrible right now in the Ravens twice. Therefore... I don't think it's time for Miles Garrett to sort of be insinuating that they are not making the proper defensive adjustments because that goes zing in my mind. And to me, that's sort of like calling out the coaching staff for not making the proper adjustments. I don't think he's calling out Anthony Walker. I don't think he's calling out John Johnson three. I I think he's, I think he's saying, Joe Woods isn't telling us the right thing to do now. Like, what do we do? Tell us what to do. Show us on the uh, Microsoft surface, help us, you know, help us change it up. Uh, So I just think that that is in-house laundry. I don't think it should be said publicly like that. And Dan, I was trying to figure out what game did he say it after previously this season? Uh, And it was about the halftime adjustments. Was it the Chargers? I can't remember the game. I have to go back and look it up and it was post game, but um, I just uh, that kind of talk at a time like that, this sort of doesn't feel right to me. And I'm curious to see what you guys think about my take on that. It does feel like Miles holds himself to a very high standard. And I think he then holds everyone around him to that same standard. And I think if he feels like he's sort of meeting his own standard, and people around him are not meeting their standard, I think he gets frustrated. And I get that. And he's not coming in, you know, kicking over tables and swearing and going crazy. So, I mean, Mary Kay, you've covered the league a long time. On on some level, you know, he's, he's right. I don't know if truth is a defense here. Team's best defensive player says coach fails to make adjustments as defense is steamrolled for 45 points. Like, it's true. Is it helpful? I don't know. But he's also called two players only meetings this year, which have been helpful. So if this is, I think if this is part of Miles asserting leadership on the defense, but he does it in multiple ways, 
Hey, we're going to have a players meeting. Hey, I'm going to demand more myself. Hey, we're going to demand more of the defensive line. Hey, I'm going to demand more of my coordinator. I think if it folds in to a larger picture, it's okay. But I understand the point you're making of like, after you just got beat up like this, like right now, maybe, maybe not great. I, I, I don't know. Does anybody else have like a strong take either way on whether Miles should or shouldn't be saying, or not even quite saying, but insinuating that. I mean, I think it's kind of what you got at towards the end there. Like the message might be right, right? Like no one's saying Joe Woods called a perfect game today. And if you did, you didn't watch probably, but, (laughs) but I think it's, it's the avenue you take to get that message across. I don't know if hinting at it in a post-game press conference when you just lost as bad as you did and could not stop the team you were playing from what they were doing on offense, I don't know that you have the right to place the blame publicly like that on your coordinator. I think you can do that and demand more of Joe Woods as the star player of this defense, but not do it in a press conference. That's kind of my take and agreeing with Mary Kay. Do do we think Miles is speaking only for himself? No. That would be my, my first question. I, I don't think he gets up there and says that if he if he is speaking that's, only for himself. That That's kind of my first thought. This is your guy. And, and Ashley, you and I were talking before we, we came on. I'm like, you know, Miles has gotten paid. He's the Browns' best defensive player. He's happy in Cleveland. He loves it. He's, he feels comfortable finally in Cleveland. And so he kind of has turned off that filter. I think we've seen that a number of times this year. To go, I was just going to say, I mean, to go back a couple weeks ago when he's talking about the OBJ situation and he's saying, I wish there had been more communication between the front office and the players about what's going on. And like, yeah, he didn't come out and directly say, I'm blaming Andrew Barry for this. But at the same time, it's like he clearly wasn't happy. And on one hand, like, I get it. That's his friend. Like, he wishes he knew more, et cetera. But at the same time, it's like, I also get where the front office is coming from and that this is a fluid situation. By the time we hit Wednesday, things had spiraled beyond control with OBJ and Miles is getting up and, and, you know, kind of expressing his opinion very much so without a filter. Like, you know, it just is, there's a time and a place. And, um, you know, obviously those quotes were newsworthy and we reported on them when they happened. Like we had a responsibility to do that, I think. But at the same time, it, it goes back to, was that, the proper way to go about that. I, I don't know what the answer is for sure, but you know, we've seen this a handful of times now just in the last like two weeks from him. Yeah. And so I, I, I don't disagree that maybe it wasn't the, 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 maybe it's not the appropriate time. Like I don't disagree with that premise at the same time. This has probably been building, right? This has probably been something that like, and you mentioned it, Mary Kate, I don't remember exactly what game it was either, but obviously there's something there's something off right now. And I think last week a lot got masked because they forced a bunch of turnovers, but that's just not going to happen. You just, that doesn't happen in the NFL. You don't have games like last week over and over again with, with a bunch of turnovers and a 99 yard pick six. And <laughs> I mean, I hate to say this, the Browns have put together some good defensive performances, but I'm not blown away by any, like any of the games you would point at and say, man, the defense put up good numbers. and They played well in that game. I'm not necessarily outside of that Cincinnati game blown away by any of them. We're talking about Justin Fields in his first start. We're talking about a Steelers offense that is basically based around Ben Roethlisberger underthrowing guys and then making adjustments in midair. 
I don't know. I just had this defense. There has only been one point this season where it's impressed me and it was last week. And I just, I, I, I think, yeah, there's a discussion to be had about whether he should have done it, but I don't think we should let that overshadow the fact that maybe this defense is more broken than we thought because a lot of good things happened a week ago against Cincinnati, but now Josh McDaniels just exposed everything. Mm-hmm. I, well, I, you know, I, I hope people I have... appreciate that in a podcast about the Browns exploding on both sides of the ball, Dan Lobby still managed to throw some shade at Ben Roethlisberger just <laughs> out of nowhere. Dan, Fantastic. Fantastic tie against the Lions today by the by Stay the Steelers. true to the brand. Go ahead, Mary Kay. I was just going to say, you know, I understand exactly what you're saying, Dan, but also they have held teams to 16 points or fewer on five occasions this season. And, you know, and that's pretty good. And it it wasn't necessarily uh, the best teams that they were doing that to. You definitely want uh, to hold the better teams down. But but I think there's something to be said for that. I just don't think that right now is the time to – to sort of be pointing the finger, especially after a loss like that, at anywhere except for at yourself. I think you you would stand up there in a post game, and I and I I agree with you, Doug, that he is holding everybody to a high standard because remember, it wasn't that long ago when he called on his teammates to step up and make big plays when he was being double teamed, and that he was frustrated that it wasn't happening, and he kind of went back and and after that and sort of amended that and said, no, I need to beat the double teams and I need to make those big plays. Uh, but the way that started out was those guys need to step up when I've got two or three guys all over me. So he is kind of holding everybody around him to a higher standard. And I think he is saying in a sort of veiled way, Joe needs to do a better job. Our defensive coaching staff needs to do a better job right now. But as you said, Doug, after covering this team, this league for so many years and seeing how this all goes and is supposed to go in the NFL, I don't know that it is productive to talk like that after a loss like this and with so much on the line. I mean, like Kevin Stefanski said, they're desperate every week. They are in a dogfight. These next seven games, they are in an unbelievable dogfight. And they need to close ranks and they need to stick together. It's why they beat the Bengals last week the way that they did, because they pulled together. And that's what they're going to have to do after this game. And so, therefore, I think that's a discussion that you have on Monday after you watch the film. You watch the film. And then if you really feel like it's on your mind to say this, then you go marching down to Joe Wood's office and you bang on the door if they're out of enhanced protocol. And you bang on the door and uh, and you say, look, we've got to all work together to figure out how to make better halftime adjustments or better sideline adjustments. That's how I think you would do it. So I will say, I think this is the evolution of a no longer young superstar in real time. And mm-hmm. if you said right now, five years from now, who is guaranteed to be a Cleveland Brown? Who's number one on your list? ahead of Andrew Barry, ahead of Kevin Stefanski, ahead of Baker Mayfield, it's Miles Garrett. Miles mm-hmm. Garrett is the voice of this team. He is a smart, thoughtful, community-oriented, fun, high-standard, 
completely like no off field issues, good to the fans, exceedingly talented fifth year superstar. And I think he is taking that mantle with his contract. And I think in real time, ask him three years from now, Hey, remember back, maybe he'll say, you know what? I didn't exactly. But I think if your choice is Miles taking the mantle with the contract or not taking it, you want him to take it. If Miles was, was a superstar who was like, well, it's kind of, I'll just do my job and we'll, we'll try our best. I don't think you'd want that either. I think you want him. He has a standard. I think you want him trying to raise everybody else's standard. And that includes a guy who a lot of people don't know if he's going to be here next year. So like Joe Woods is on the hook right now, man. I don't know if it's helpful or not, but Joe Woods needs to be better. So I think it is well-intentioned, perhaps not perfectly executed, but I think you've got to take it as part of the Miles Garrett package. And I think if you're looking for a superstar in any sport right now, I mean, give me a list of 10 guys you'd want to start a franchise with and we'll do Giannis and we'll do, right. I mean, we'll do the whole thing with Steph Curry and we'll go around the league and Dak Prescott and Lamar Jackson, whatever. Miles Garrett's on that list, and this is part of who he is, and I think he's learning in real time. Scott, should the Browns blitz more? I think perhaps the efficiency box that the offense is in is the defense in it too. Are they think? I think we got to this point where the defense thinks one through eleven, we have good players. Do your job, and it'll be okay. And they try to do their job today, and they could stop anybody. Does does everybody associated with this team need to roll the dice a little more? Does that include the defensive side of the ball? Does Joe Woods need to take some more chances? Well, if you're looking for a way for them to get pressure, not necessarily they're third in the league in pressure rate with uh, the way they're blitzing right now, which is around 20%, which is ranked a little bit higher than they were last year. I think they were 29th at the same rate. This year, they're like 21st, I believe. So, I mean, they're not as lowly ranked, but they're basically blitzing the same amount. He hasn't really changed much. They're just getting better pressure up front with the guys that they, that they are sending. Um, so from that standpoint, no, not necessarily, but clearly they can do a better job of timing those blitzes and uh, making them more impactful when they do. Um, but I don't, I, and, and we see that all the time, all last year, Joe Woods has to blitz more. And, you know, it was hard to argue against that because they just weren't getting much pressure on a quarterback outside of Miles Garrett, but this year they are. And I think it just comes down to maybe being more impactful with the blitzes they do send, not sending the full house, not doing, you know, Baltimore send everybody kind of deal, just finding the right, right times to do it. And I, I saw a lot of people on social media saying, why don't they blitz a rookie quarterback more? And, you know, like, do you think we got to week 10 and, and Browns fans are the first persons, people who thought of that. I mean, Mac Jones is having a pretty good year and it's not like he's never been blitzed. So uh, I don't know if that was really the, the downfall today, but getting him at the right time, that's that's where it could have been better. Dan, do you have a number one tangible thing you would like to see this defense do in an attempt to improve to not give up 45 points next week other than play Jared Goff? Step number one, play Jared Goff. <laughs> Step number two, JOK, a little more JOK, a little healthier JOK. I think that's real. What else, Dan? Let's, let's offer solutions, not just critiques. What can they do? Wow. That's a good one. <laughs> We're not designed I mean, to actually offer solutions. <laughs> We're just in critique mode. I, just, I don't, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I think it just comes down to, 
are you able to get pressure with your four guys up front, right? If, if Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney are just constantly in the backfield and those four guys are, are making plays, are, are you able to get pressure with that? I think that changes everything the Browns do. I mean, Bill Belichick himself this week was talking about, you know, pressures, right? He loves pressures. He thinks they're more important or more meaningful than sacks or something like that. So, it, you know, I, I think that's where it all starts. And if you, you play an offense that figures out a way to neutralize some of that, and I think the Patriots did that a little bit today, you're, you're going to be in trouble. Um, but I, I think it just starts up front. And the other thing is you were, you gave up the first six third downs that the Patriots had today. So it's kind of just making those plays in that moment. I, I don't know that I have like a real tangible, you know, they got to play more man coverage or they have to do this or, or that. I don't know having without having really being able to go back and watch the game. But I, I just think it comes down to in those moments when it's third, when Miles Garrett gets a sack on second down and it's third and 13, you got to get off the field. Like you just, you've got to make them settle for a field goal. And, and that wasn't happening today. It's just kind of making those plays in, in those moments. And, and that wasn't happening today. I did. Th- I mean, Joe Woods, I think, got outguessed a couple times on those. Some of those screens and stuff on on the long downs that hit him. It's like I, you maybe could have been a little more prepared for that. Mary Kay, as Dan said, they end up seven of nine on third down conversions, convert their first six. I mean, that is just it kills you, Mary Kay. I mean, it's just to to not get off the field, and again against a rookie quarterback, it's of course you're going to give up forty five when that's the case. Well, you know what. We talk about a rookie quarterback, but, uh, you know, there are differing degrees of rookie quarterback. Now, if you're talking about Justin Fields in his very first NFL start with the Chicago Bears and the Chicago Bears not knowing what to do with him yet, uh, that's a whole lot different than Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels really knowing what Mac Jones is capable of and tweaking it to the point where he can be really, really successful and effective on things like third down. They're masters of situational football, these guys. And I think part of what happened today is that the Browns ran into a really good rookie quarterback, one with a ton of potential that puts tremendous touch on the ball, that has that makes really good reads and can fit that ball into some really tight windows. I was very impressed with him. And I think that's part of what happened today. In addition, I think that when Damian Harrison went out, uh, I thought that that was going to be a, you know, a huge factor. And Stevenson like stepped up and really surprised the Browns with like, he just had an unbelievable game. And so some of it was the fact that they just were not, they were not tackling. Well, I saw missed tackles. I saw, you know, he, he has tremendous vision, but, I mean, they were they were just leaving, letting him go and, and missing him. I, I counted a bunch of plays where I just watched a guy just not be able to to tackle him. So, you know, is that Joe Woods or is that Stevenson having a really, really, really good game? And I, I think that they really got outplayed. So they partially got outcoached, but they partially, partially got outplayed by a couple of really good players. A couple more things we want to hit before we go. I think, Ashley, you wrote the quick story on this after the game. Of course, thinking about Troy Hill, hoping everything's okay with him. Ashley, what's – people are going to hear more as they're listening to this podcast, but where do things stand now with Troy Hill as far as we know? Yeah, the team did confirm it was a neck injury and that he had movement in his extremities. 
and that he is being evaluated at an area hospital. So that's all we know. Um, players who talked afterwards, Miles Garrett and JJ3 from the defense basically said that's all they know too. So that's where things currently stand as of 6.56 p.m. on uh, Sunday. Okay, so obviously everybody hoping that uh, Troy Hill is okay. Let's let's end with this. I wanted to put this to Ashley. Uh, Ashley, should the Browns fire Joe Woods on Monday? Yes or no? No, just it's just, it's to ask the new person the toughest question. It's a new tradition that my anxiety cannot handle. (laughs) I should send you my therapy copays. Oh, I don't actually mean that. I don't actually mean that. Here's what you're there. What Dan mentioned, he thought Baker was down. Like, did Ashley? Did you did did everybody like? John Johnson, the third miles Garrett, did the defense feel down? Did Kevin Stefanski feel down? What did you think of how everybody in the aftermath was feeling? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess Dan's the way he assessed the vibe is probably right. I mean, it's harder for me just because I haven't been around all of these people as long as everybody else, but yeah, I mean, I think that overall, it just is, we we heard a lot of the same things for the most part, and it's that people need to take accountability. And But then the follow-up question, which was asked, like, is there a lack of accountability here somewhere? Like, I do think there are valid questions, and they can kind of say all the things they're supposed to say after a loss, right? Like, kind of what I was talking about earlier with Kevin Stefanski follow, falling on the sword a little bit. But at some point, saying that does nothing for me anymore. Like it could still be in theory, the right thing to say, but until, and you could have the down vibe, I guess, but until you make those differences, like you, you literally have to turn around. And I think Miles Garrett was the one who said it's the NFL, like these peaks and valleys that they're going through. It's part of being in the NFL and you have to figure out a way to manage that as a group and come out on the other side and be better next week. And it's a cliche, but cliches are true sometimes. So. Dan, what have you thought of these peaks and valleys? I mean, everybody's noting this. Is again, is that you're good one week and you're not as good the next? Is there is there anything to take away from the idea that they were bad against Pittsburgh and then they were good against the Bengals and then they were bad against New England? I don't know. You know, it, it, I don't. I mean, at some point you kind of are who you are, right? And and this team, the reality this team is facing is they've lost four out of six games. And they're, you know, the Patriots are going the right way. And they might, the Browns might get a lot of breaks this week. I mean, the Ravens Thursday night on the road played terrible. The Steelers tied the Lions. The Broncos are losing as we're recording this. Either the Chiefs or Raiders are going to lose on Sunday night. Uh, or is that the Monday night game? Whatever it is. One of those two teams is going to lose. So they're going to get some things that go their way this week. But the reality is this is a two and four football team since they got off to that three and one start. And they've beaten who have they beaten the Bengals and I'm, I'm blanking on it's so bad. I'm blanking on who the other team is right now. Um, the Bengals and the Broncos. So I don't know. I, I, I guess I just don't know what this football team is. And I, again, everything might go their way. They might beat the Ravens twice. I, I don't know. Um, but they, they've got a very difficult end of their schedule and I, I just don't see a team. And I picked them to go to the Super Bowl. So I've obviously been very optimistic about this team, but the way they're playing right now over their last six games, they're not, I mean, they're a fringe playoff team and probably not a team that can go win the Super Bowl, And, and that's, that's disappointing. So that, that's kind of how I see it. It's, it, it has been peaks and valleys, but this trend over six games is they're two and four and, and that's not a very good team. All right. Really I want to end. The, go ahead, one yes, thing yes. I wanted to add, and I know Mary Kay touched on it with Ramondre Stevenson and what he was able to do, but like 
we talked so much about Mac Jones and kind of going along with what Dan is saying in terms of this lack of identity, like the Browns are a really good run defense team, right? We talked about that in our predictions, but I made a very, what in hindsight turned out to be a very bold prediction that they would hold them to less than 85 rushing yards. This was the worst rushing performance for this defense. The previous high in yardage that they had given up this year was 144 yards to the Cardinals and the Patriots put up 184. Like, Ramondre Stevenson had his first 100-yard rushing game and his first multi-touchdown game, and he's a rookie. Like, we talked so much about the rookie quarterback. I just wanted to highlight the really how short they fell on the ground today, too, because I had higher expectations for them dealing with that than dealing with a rookie quarterback, and they just did not take care of business. So, anyways, go on, Doug. Sorry to interrupt you. No, that's good. That's a very good point to make before we get out of here. Scott, I want to go to you and let Mary Kay wrap it up. They were talking about this a lot in the broadcast that the Patriots – signed a lot of free agents this offseason. Matthew Judon, one of them from Baltimore, who's played really well for them. The Browns also, particularly on defense, signed a lot of guys in, in the offseason. Where are we on that? John Johnson the third, and Troy Hill, again, who got injured, who, who has played pretty darn well. Anthony Walker, you know, Malik McDowell's new, Jadavion Clowney. Are they getting – they signed all these guys, so games like today would not happen anymore. How are we supposed to view this free agent – reshaping of the defense after giving up 45. It just all depends on which week you're looking at it because this defense has just been so incredibly inconsistent. Um, Like the last two weeks, they moved around John Johnson. They got him closer to the line of scrimmage and he played well, took him quite a few weeks to get to that point, but, but that worked. Um, You've had a, a really good rookie come in and play well when he's been healthy, but Troy Hill, been like the best run defender on this team uh, as a, as a cornerback. So they've gotten performances here and there, just not consistently. And, you know, overall, obviously consistency was a kind of an issue of the day today, but defensively it's just been these wild swings and uh, football outsiders, which does the DVOA metric, which ranks uh, basically how efficient you are compared to the league average. I mean, defensively last year, or this year, the Browns are, are near the bottom of the league. You're just not sure what you're going to get. And we've seen it like in two-game chunks, right? They'll be good for two games, not so good for two games. Um, and that's just kind of bled over, I think, into the whole team and making them inconsistent, depending on – it doesn't really matter who you play. It's just you're not sure what you're going to get from them. But maybe there's a silver lining. Last year, the most inconsistent team in the NFL, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Wow. So apparently you can win a Super Bowl as long as long as when you're inconsistent, you're still better than the team you're playing poorly against. I a team that had a, a team that had a late bye week too. Yeah. By the way, the Browns were ranked 31st last year. In, which in I think if you think back, all those close games didn't matter if they were playing a good team or a bad team. They were close against them. And again, it's inconsistency, but they managed to win those games. Not so much this year. I cannot wait to put a headline on this podcast. Lobby rescinds Super Bowl pick. Patsco compares Browns to Bucks of last year. Oh, all right. Mary Kay, spin us forward. You're always good at taking what's happened and trying to assess what it means. They're five and five. As we kind of detail, the AFC remains a jumbled mess in this playoff race. I think you better get the 10 and seven. So you got two more. You only got two more losses. 
I don't think you can count on nine and eight getting in. How do you think Kevin Stefanski and this team will come back next week? They have the worst team in the league, maybe second worst team in the league. Waiting for them a week from now. What do you expect from the Browns over the next seven days? Well, in a week where they decided that they were going to lay an egg like this, I think they got really lucky. In order to make the playoffs and advance to the playoffs, you have to have some luck. And they got lucky this week in that, the Ravens completely sputtered and fell apart against the Dolphins. I mean, right now, the, the, uh, the Ravens could have seven victories, and they don't. They're still stuck at six. Then what happens? Of course, didn't we all think that the Steelers were going to end up with six victories this week, right? Of course they were. They were playing the 0-8 Lions. Lo and behold, Ben Roethlisberger comes down with COVID-19. They tie the Lions. Now they're at 5-3-1. and one. That is a stroke of luck as long as, of course, Ben Roethlisberger is feeling fine. And, of course, we hope that he is. But stroke of luck that those teams did not advance and get ahead. So here the Cleveland Browns are with five victories, same as the Steelers right now, same as the Bengals right now and one victory behind the Ravens with two games coming up against the Ravens and their little 31st ranked pass defense that I'm not impressed with at all. So I really think that, I mean, we know they're going to beat the lions. I mean, we're, we can just make that pick right now, everybody. They're going to be six and five. And then they head into that two game stretch where I've been saying since the schedule come out, came out, that's where the AFC North in my mind, I think is going to be won or lost right there in those two games for the Cleveland Browns and it's three games for the Ravens because they have in between their little Brown sandwich, they've got Pittsburgh in between the bun there. So that's where I think it's going to be won or lost right there. It is coming up. The Browns must pull together. Hopefully for them, they'll have Kareem hunt back and, uh, and you know, they're going to win next week. So I think it's all still there for them. I think they just need to kind of, get it together a little bit. And Joe Woods needs to make some halftime adjustments. Oh, see, Mary Kay will say it. She just doesn't want Miles to say it. Miles, just chill out. Mary Kay will say it on your behalf. She'll write it even. It's all good. Hey, uh, hey real, real quick, because I actually want to throw that out there. Mary Kay already kind of did hers. I just wanted to ask everybody, like, 30 seconds. Are the Browns making the – do you still believe the Browns are making the playoffs? And why? Just real quick. Because, because, you know, we're talking about this game in the moment. They got blown out. It's ugly. It's all framed in this loss. So, yeah, and that's been it forward. You still believe this team is making the playoffs. And Mary Kay mentioned the things that went their way in the division, but things are going their way in a wild card race, too. Denver is losing while we're recording this. I already, yeah, the Chargers are losing as we're recording this. I already said that either the Chiefs or, or, or uh, Raiders are going to lose this week. So, I mean, I'll go first. I actually do believe they're still going to make the playoffs because of that Ravens back-to-back. And because Kareem Hunt's coming back and because Nick Chubb is coming back. So I, because of that, I still think they're going to find their way to whether it's 10 and seven or whatever it is. I believe it was Scott that said 10 and seven, make the playoffs. Uh, they will. Uh, I, I still believe this team can make the playoffs and, and likely will. I will also say that just because of everything that's already been laid out so nicely by you and Mary Kay, just that there, there is so much unpredictability in the AFC this year and largely in the NFL. Um, So I don't see why not. And, you know, I think these last few weeks 
we've seen again the peaks and valleys this kind of roller coaster they've been on and i'm trying to avoid getting sucked along that ride regardless of what the the outcome is of some of these games that we've seen recently um so i will say i think they maybe put some things together they you know this group largely for the most part got to experience the postseason last year and i'll you know i'll say that they get it together enough to win some of these important games they have coming up to win at least one of those Baltimore games that they have that are extremely important. And, you know, we'll see what happens and how the narrative changes as we, we get to those weeks. I don't know, man. I don't think you're getting in at nine and eight. So they're five and five. Can they go five and two? Can a five and five team go five and two? I think that passing game today is non-functional. And I don't know what's going to change. Yes, what's going to change is the run game's going to return and cause defenses to have to respect the run game more so they can't play the pass game the same way. But if Baker's hurt, then I don't know if he's going to get better. And if he's not hurt, then that was awful today. So, so like, I don't know what the better answer is. Oh, he's hurt. It's like, oh, he's definitely hurt. Oh, cool. Good luck winning, going five and two with an injured quarterback the rest of the way. I mean, just the reality of, You've got the Packers and two Ravens. Plus, then you can't trip up against the Steelers or Bengals or Lions or Raiders, Raiders right? Yeah. Like that's so. So you got to split. You got to split with the Ravens and only lose to the Packers on Christmas and beat everybody else. I don't know if this is a passing game right now that can do that. I, I don't know if it is. So I, I think they might end up in tiebreaker land where you're tied with somebody in a big mishmash and you lose tiebreakers because they have more AFC losses or something and they don't get in. I'm, I'm very discouraged about the passing game. This, this changed my fundamental view of some things with, with the way that they didn't complete a pass 10 yards down the field. And I just, and I don't know how they're magically going to do that. I'll get up. It'll get a little better. I don't know how it's going to get a lot better. And I think it might have to get a lot better to open this offense up. Scott, what do you say? There are 12 teams right now with at least five wins. And of those, Right near the Brown, like I feel better about the Browns and the Colts and the Broncos, but above them, you got the Chiefs and the Bengals. And then you get into like the Steelers, Raiders, Chargers. I, I don't know. That's a lot of teams that I think that some they've already lost to that they'll have to leap over. I will say, I believe they're in as good a position as a five and five team could be right now. That's probably as far as I'll go. I, I, I will just say, in the end, this was a day with no Nick Chubb, no Kareem Hunt, no Demetric Felton, where you needed either your defense or your quarterback to go win you a tough game on the road. And neither of those things came anywhere close to doing it. Not even, they didn't even sniff it. And that, that has colored my opinion of what I thought of this team right now. All right. Go read our stuff. If you think the talking's good, the writing's even better. Cleveland.com slash Browns. You click a blue banner. You get all the stuff then, the texts, the uh, the bonus little written thing in your email box every day. It's beautiful. I mean, if you were depressed by that podcast, please pay extra for more things about how bad they are. <laughs> Sorry, I don't. I mean, what are we going to do? I, I, but we'll analyze. We're not just going to talk about it. We'll analyze. If you're frustrated, we'll analyze your frustration. So go sign up at cleveland.com slash Browns. Make sure you're, uh, you're listening to Orange and Brown Talk five days a week. Just so much good podcasting. Thanks to you guys for making us part of your Browns week. For Scott Patsko, Ashley Bastock, Mary Kay Cabot, and Dan Lobby, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. <laughs>